please stand for, uh, for the reading of God's word. Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is God's word for today. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Jason. I am our downtown congregation staff pastor, and I have the privilege of opening up God's word with you today. As Thad just read, we are in John chapter 9. We are continuing our series called Searching for Answers, Encounters with Jesus. And we are taking a look at encounters like the one we read this morning. Real people coming in contact with God in the flesh. We're seeing as Jesus encounters people in different life situations. And as we do, we see a little bit about the heart of God, most importantly. But he also encounters people just like you and me. And there's a lot that we can learn about the nature of who God is as we open up the scriptures together. Today, we see Jesus encounter a man that is suffering. Suffering is something that unites us all. It's common for all of us in the human experience. Suffering is something we all share in together. And I'm not just talking about Penn State fans this morning. <laughs> talking about you and me. It unites us in a way that really nothing else does. Suffering is interwoven into every aspect of life, yet somehow always seems like a surprise when we encounter suffering. We need complex answers for our complex and varied sufferings. Easy answers or philosophical ponderings are not enough to meet with the embodied reality of our suffering. We're going to talk about some theological answers and some philosophical things about suffering today, but ultimately, as we open the scriptures today, we will see that Jesus gives us a complex answer to suffering, and ultimately, he gives us himself. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, thank you that you've spoken to us. Thank you that you have not remained silent as we suffer Spirit, we thank you that you are here now and that you want to speak to each one of us. God, I know that each one here needs to hear from you. So, Father, I pray that I would just be a mouthpiece of what you want to say. God, speak to each one individually. God, I don't know where everyone is this morning and what they're coming into this service this time with, but, Father, you do. Would you speak to each one? Would you help us to see the beauty of the good news of the gospel? Would you help us to see your power, God? Would you help us to see that you see, you know, you care, and you're able to do something about our suffering? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Jesus offers a complex answer to our suffering. And we see it in scripture here today. So John 9, if you haven't opened there, please go ahead and do so. I want to recap a little bit the first seven chapters that, uh, or first seven verses that Thad read for us. In the first seven verses, we see the disciples have a question about this man born blind. Their first response is, well, someone must have sinned if this man is suffering in this way. Was it his parents and now he is suffering for their sin and he was born blind? Or is it a direct consequence for his sin, therefore he's become blind? That's the question that the disciples have for Jesus. Now, before we cast stones at them for asking this question and making this assumption, we have to know two things. The first is that this is just an ancient Jewish belief that if you are suffering, then it's because of the sin of your parents or their parents before them. They take the verses from the Old Testament that talk about our iniquities, our sin, visiting the next generation and the generation after that. They take it very literally and very correlated, that it's directly correlated, that our suffering is directly connected to sin on someone's part. So that's the first thing. The second reason that we can't really cast stones at them is that we often have the same question. Even if it's at a gut level response or in our subconscious, we assume that others' suffering or our own suffering is the direct result of sin or some kind of wrongdoing. So we can learn a lot from these questions that they are asking. Here in verse 3, Jesus gives us the punchline to this passage and also this sermon when he says, It is not that that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He tells us that in suffering, we can find meaning and that the works and the power and the goodness of God might be displayed. Fortunately, there are 30 some more verses in this passage. And unfortunately for you, there's 30 some minutes left in this sermon, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing because our suffering needs complex answers. This theological truth is true, and it's going to be how we conclude here today. But if you're like me, you've still got questions. There's still questions that suffering brings about. And great, I'm glad that God's work can be seen among my suffering, but why do I have to suffer? How do we get out of suffering? How do we deal with suffering? We need to see Jesus' answers. We find them in this encounter with this man born blind. Would you continue on in the passage in verse 13? It will also be up on the screen. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Here we see what we see so many times in these encounters with Jesus, that the religious people are confused by Jesus and what he's trying to do. 
We see them have questions and litigate the problem and the suffering instead of turning to Jesus for answers. Before we're too hard on them, we have to realize that often we have very religious responses to our suffering or the suffering that we see in others. We turn to these things and we try to answer these questions because we think as religious people we're supposed to have the answer or we need the answer. But religion and our world is full of insufficient answers for our suffering. Sometime this afternoon, open up Google and just type in meaning in suffering. Meaning in suffering. The first six pages you will find are all Bible verses, religious answers, uh, Christians mostly writing about God's view of suffering. I don't know if you've ever Googled a question before, but typically the six pages that come up are not religious answers. The reason for this is the world has no answers for suffering. There's no answers for suffering. The DSM manual is the diagnostic tool that psychiatrists use to diagnose mental health issues. And this diagnostic manual is on fifth or sixth edition, and it's not getting shorter. They keep adding more and more diagnostics to it. And it's a helpful tool for healthcare professionals that they can diagnose what's going on with someone, but it just keeps getting longer because what it does not provide is how did this suffering start? And it also doesn't have ultimate solutions to heal the suffering. We find insufficient answers in our world. We find insufficient answers to our question of suffering. And suffering does bring about some of life's most profound questions. Some of them up here on the screen. Why do I suffer? Why do others suffer? Does God see what's going on here? Maybe he sees, but maybe he's just aloof. Maybe he just doesn't care. Or maybe he sees and maybe he cares, but maybe he's powerless to do anything about it. Is God powerless to help? We start thinking about the brevity of our life. How short is my life? I've always thought I had as many years as I wanted until I was old and gray, but maybe I don't as we see the suffering and the death around us. And how can this ever almighty God that we sing about and that we read about in scriptures, how can he really care if he doesn't intervene in the suffering that I'm experiencing or the suffering I see in this world? This is just a short list of some of the profound questions that suffering brings about. Some things we can just ponder about and then we can just kind of move on to the next thing and maybe we don't revisit it. Suffering is always right there, always right in our face asking these questions that demand an answer. So, just as the disciples and the Pharisees, they turn to religion. Maybe religion has the answers. Those first six pages, they were all religious answers to suffering. When we turn to religion and religious people, there's often some things that go awry when we try to describe suffering. Here's a few. First, like they do, we too quickly turn to sin. We assume that there must be sin on the other person's part or our part and that there's a direct correlation between suffering and sin. And while our sin can bring about suffering and natural consequences, we think there's just this direct correlation. When my first son was born, uh, the doctor pulled him aside and was checking to make sure all of his parts were there. And I walked over and the doctor said, yep, he's fine. And my first response was, you got to be kidding me. 
My son is fine. He has all his parts. I don't deserve this. It's my first gut level response. And it's not because of some heinous sin that I had never confessed before. It's just because I, I'm me. I am who I am. I see my sin and I think, I don't deserve this. That's how we often think about our sin and the sins of others. Or we try to sprinkle a little Jesus on people's suffering. We have trite answers. Or we just tell people to look forward to the healing that will come in heaven. And we try to give easy answers. Often religion and religious people try to minimize suffering in order to maintain a big view of God. But the irony is that as we just try to sprinkle a little Jesus on things and hope it goes away and hope the trite answers work, it ironically leads leads us to a very small view of God. It leads us to a view of God that says God doesn't want to intervene now and that God can't do anything about suffering now or he can't heal or doesn't want to heal and it actually shrinks our view of God. Or like these religious people, we miss Jesus amongst the controversy. Notice in this story, it's very loud and clear in this story, but the other stories that we've been reading in this series, in these encounters with Jesus, how religious people are busy fighting amongst themselves while Jesus is busy speaking to those that are suffering, speaking to those that are marginalized, speaking to those that have been cast out of the conversation. Here, as we read ahead in John 9, we see the end of the story that the Pharisees, the disciples, the parents, all these things are being litigated. At one point, they again call the man born blind in and they ask him to testify again. And eventually he just says, you're asking me so many questions about this Jesus. Do you want to become his disciples now? The religious people are litigating, why did this man suffer? Who sinned? What's going on here? Jesus steps out of the fray goes to the man, and he says, you've been healed of your physical sight, but I want to heal so much more. We lose Jesus amongst the controversy as we try to answer the questions for suffering. Or we have religious doubt. Religious doubt can take on many different forms, One particular example and one form it can take is when we're praying for our own healing or the healing of others, and we tack on this, only if it be your will. Now, that may come from a good heart. We don't want to be presumptuous that we know God's will, and we want to pray according to God's will, but often it comes from a place of doubt. We're hedging our faith. We don't want to feel bad about our faith or we don't want to feel like our faith was not big enough or that we didn't pray the right prayer and so we hedge our bets and we're like, okay, if God heals him, that's a miracle. And if he doesn't, well, that was his will. And then we don't have to think too hard or live by faith. These are just a few of the things that we go about trying to do to answer the problem of suffering. We do not find the answer to suffering in this world and we do not find the answer to suffering in religion or with religious people. Jesus shows and tells us what we need to know about suffering. He has a complex answer to the complex reality of suffering. So first, Jesus shows us something about suffering. In this story, we see Jesus create, restore, foretell, and heal. First, he creates. Look at the way he 
heals this man. He could have healed him in any way, and Jesus does. Sometimes he touches people. Sometimes they touch him. Sometimes he doesn't touch them at all. Sometimes he prays. Sometimes he doesn't. There's a number of different ways that Jesus prays, but the first thing Jesus does in this story is he spits on the ground, he turns the dirt into mud, makes a clay, and puts it on the man's eyes. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is creating From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, the spirit of the living God is hovering over the substances that God had already made and he takes those substances and he takes chaos and turns it into order. And God creates. God takes dust and breathes life into it. Behold, mankind made in his image. This is how God creates. Jesus says, I am the creator. And making someone see that was formerly blind is nothing when I created the person. Jesus is reminding us that he is the creator, but he is also restoring. See, no one should be born blind, and no one should get cancer, and people should not die when they are young. So when God heals, when Jesus heals, he is restoring things to what they should be. He is restoring things back into order that have become chaotic due to suffering. So Jesus is restoring. He is also foretelling of the kingdom come because that blind man, if he was not made to see on this earth in this life, he would be able to see just like you and I in the kingdom come. So Jesus is restoring the natural order. He is also pointing towards the promise of the kingdom come. As Jesus heals, we see the kingdom is coming, but has already come in him. And then ultimately, Jesus, out of his power and his divine mercy, heals this man This tells us that God does want to intervene. He does seize. He does care. He can do something about our pain. Because of these truths, because of what Jesus really did when he walked this earth, we never have to doubt that he sees, he knows, he cares, and he is powerful to do something about our suffering. Jesus also tells Back to verse 3, Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or that his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus tells us that he brings meaning to suffering. Whether it is through healing or whether it is through persevering through the healing, he is the one that his works are on display. His works are on display. The greatness of who he is, the nature of the kingdom is on display as we suffer well or as we are healed in this life. Jesus says that I am going to display my works through this man's pain and through my healing of this man. This is why God allows suffering. This is why God brings healing and victory through suffering. This is why God gives meaning during suffering because he is displaying how great he is. And in whatever way he chooses to do that, it is about him and his glory and his mighty works being displayed through you. Do you want to pray according to God's will? Pray that he would be glorified in your life. That might mean healing. It might mean perseverance. It may mean hardship. But pray that he is glorified 
in your life and that the kingdom would come? Jesus tells us an answer for suffering. Before we can move on today, we have to talk about one more barrier to our understanding of suffering. And that barrier is our sin. And while there may not be a direct correlation always between our sin and our suffering, our sin keeps us from seeing God clearly. It keeps us from seeing God's purposes. It keeps us from persevering through pain. Our sin keeps us from seeing God clearly. Our sin makes us think that our suffering or others' suffering is their fault. Sin, once again, gets in the way. If we look ahead to John 9, 39, to the end of the story, once again, the religious folks are litigating why is this man suffering in the temple? And Jesus pulls this man aside or goes aside with him. And this is what he says in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus is telling this blind man, I healed your physical sight, but what you really need is spiritual sight because you are spiritually blind to the kingdom of God. You are spiritually blind to the one that made you. You are spiritually blind to the things of the kingdom. And I came to cause those who realize they are blind to see the kingdom of God. So through healing or through perseverance, you are going to see the kingdom come. And not only that, but your spiritual blindness keeps you out of the kingdom. Just like you and me, our spiritual blindness keeps us out of the kingdom. And so we cannot be a part of the kingdom of God because of our sin. But what God offers to this man, he offers to you and me as well. The opportunity to be healed. The opportunity to see with spiritual eyes. Look with me at Psalm 103. Verses 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Praise God. On one hand, this man's sin did not cause him to be born blind. And on one hand, I did not deserve nor not deserve to have a son born with all of his parts. But we don't deserve anything. The fact that we are kept alive and that we can walk or see today is God's intervention into a world of chaos and suffering. Due to the fact that I have four boys, ages 12 to 5, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God intervenes in our life because he keeps them alive every single day. We, at the back of our house is almost three stories up, and I'm standing there doing the dishes, and I look out the window, and I see my 11-year-old look in the window, hi, Dad, in the top of a tree. I am not keeping that boy alive. God is intervening and keeping him alive. There's, there's a spiritual truth here. Without God's intervention, we deserve nothing. And in a world of chaos and death and suffering, no matter how much we think we can control things and through technology and willpower and autonomy, we can intervene and keep people alive, it is God intervening to give us the breath we are breathing right now. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So what does he do? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He offers us healing. He offers us spiritual life. He offers us the kingdom of God. How do we know that God cares about our suffering and that he is willing and able to intervene? Because Jesus suffered first. When we can't answer all the questions that suffering brings about, we can remember that Jesus suffered first. In our sin, in our suffering, in our struggle, we can feel forsaken by God. We must remember that it was Jesus who suffered first. On the cross, he uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time ever, Jesus turned to look at the Father, and the Father turned his face away so that you and I might have life and might be a part of his kingdom. We don't deserve to be a part of the kingdom of God but Jesus pays our way with his righteous perfection by the sinner's death that he did not deserve on the cross. And he tells us that the kingdom is coming through his resurrection power. And he's taken our sin and he's flung it as far as the east is from the west. That means gone for good. This is his offer to us today. Because of this, we can find deliverance from our pain in this life or in the life to come, and we can find meaning amongst our pain as we go through it. And this gives us really good news. Look with me at verses 24 and 25 of the story of the man born blind. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That is our testimony if we are in Christ. Once I was blind and now I see. I deserved nothing, yet he gave me everything. I deserved death and he gave me life. I deserve to be forsaken by God, yet he was forsaken first. I once was living for myself, but now I'm living for him. I once was blind, and now I see. This is our story. This is the good news that we have to offer others. And as our world suffers, as our world suffers the effects of sin, as our world is left with no answers, for suffering and sin, we have the testimony of not all the philosophical answers or not being able to explain it all away or not trite answers for people's suffering, but we can say, I once was blind and now I see. And the kingdom has come and is coming and I'm living proof that God intervenes and that God wants to be a part of our lives. This is the good news that we have to share. I'd like you to, to encourage you to take action on what you've heard today. I want to encourage you to not suffer alone. 
The fact of the matter is, friends, no matter how much we don't want to think about it or live in denial or no matter how many tools or technologies we have at our expense, we have suffered, we are suffering, we will suffer. In this world, you will have trouble. We will suffer, but don't suffer alone. Don't suffer alone. First, you need Christ. Don't suffer apart from God's help. Don't suffer apart from God's intervention. Don't suffer apart from God's healing. First and foremost, if you are not in Christ, if you feel forsaken by God, if you feel like your sin is too big, Look at what Christ has done for you. Look at where he has offered to throw away your sin. Look at the exchange he wants to make, his life given for you. He takes your sin and gives you his righteous perfection. He invites you and me, a sinner like me, into his kingdom. Go through this life and whatever it may hold with your Savior and with the Spirit of the living God inside of you. Go through this suffering as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So first, don't go through it alone, but go with Christ. And secondly, ask to be healed. You may have heard that sometimes we don't see physical healing in this life because our faith is not big enough. First off, I say that's nonsense. My faith is never big enough. My faith is never big enough. But you know why sometimes we don't see God heal in this life? Because we don't even have the faith to ask. Jesus time and time again says you do not have because you do not ask. The physical healing that you need or others need, have you asked for it? Have you had the faith to believe that he cares, he sees And he might want to just relieve you from that suffering today. God sees, he knows, and he's willing and able to help. So ask. The second way that you can take action is don't go through suffering alone, but go through it together. Here at Grace, we have a fellowship of the Lyme. Fellowship of those that have been through Lyme disease, of which I'm a card-carrying member, along with Grace, who you saw in video, and Stacy Simpson, Brooks's wife, uh, and others who suffer from Lyme disease. There is nothing more helpful than those individuals speaking into my life about Lyme disease and then me turning around and speaking into others. We have a fellowship together. Don't struggle. Don't suffer alone. But Allow others to be a part of your suffering and be a part of their suffering. I know without a shadow of a doubt that every week there are those of you that come in here and leave anonymously. You aren't known by anyone. You don't know anyone and you are suffering. Don't go through it alone. But know others and be known by others and see what God can do as you pray for one another's healing, support one another through suffering, Don't do it alone. A couple of ways that you can tangibly do that here at Grace is we have a baptism coming up where you can identify with Christ and his life, death, burial, resurrection. You can identify with the people of God. You can say, these are my brothers and sisters and we are 
king, we are a part of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. You can sign up for that class based on the information you see there on the screen. And don't struggle through suffering without God's word. As you open up God's word, you will continue to see God's complex answers and the concrete reality of his presence for your suffering. You can join our devotional that you're going through. Uh, We're going through as a church by texting the number that you see on the screen.